but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crucified and crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Beloved, this evening, it's hard for us often on Good Friday to understand and to capture the sorrow and the suffering and the pain of our Lord on the cross. It's um, every Good Friday I uh, am... I'm reminded uh, that it would be good for us at somewhere in this church to have a crucifix, even if a small one, I've got one up here, to see the body of our Lord on the cross. Beloved, um, I could take time this evening to remind us of the humiliation that Jesus, the Son of God, endured for us. The humiliation Think of the times you have been humiliated in this life, embarrassed, wanting to disappear, and there was our Lord stripped of his garments, naked, beaten within an inch of his life before going to the cross. The crown of thorns placed upon his head. Have you ever had anything hit your head, the back and the top of your head, how painful it is just for something to to even be on it? A crown of thorns being, being pushed and blood flowing down. His beard ripped from his face. It's hard for us this evening and every Good Friday to capture and to understand the pain and the humiliation. The disciple whom, um, who was called the rock, Cephas, Peter, denying him three times, Judas, his betrayal of our Lord the utter humiliation and the pain and the suffering that fell upon Jesus of Nazareth. Beloved, that pain, that suffering to the point of death, hanging on the cross, nails through his hands, a pierced side, finally in suffocation, yelling out, it is finished, and bowing his head. Beloved, it is through that suffering that we have found redemption. But you know, it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. You see, before man's unauthorized grab for knowledge that wasn't his to have, before Eve and Adam's teeth had sunk into the flesh of that fruit from that forbidden tree, before the cancerous sin had led to death, there was life in all its goodness, in all its beauty. 
devoid of sin, of suffering, of death. It's hard for us to imagine an existence like that on this side of the fall. Brothers and sisters, imagine for a moment your own death. For all of us in this nave this evening, unless our Lord returns, we'll face down death. Imagine your own death for a moment. Think back, and I mean this, think back to all the travails of this earthly existence that you've experienced up until this point in time. The tears, the pain, the abandonment, the shame that others have caused you and that you have caused others, the sins that I have committed in this life, the sins that if you knew about or if I knew about yours would humiliate us into the point of utter shame. Now imagine for a moment living in such a world where none of that existed. Imagine that kind of life. And I don't mean living just forever where there's no pain or suffering or sin. I mean living too in a way in which we have perfect communion with God and with each other and with creation in which we are fulfilling the sense of purpose and the actual purpose that God has given us. Imagine that type of life and the beauty and the goodness. What a wonderful thing. Do you remember the tree in the garden? The tree of life. Brothers we are, and sisters, we are moving towards that tree of life. But you see, the movement to that tree in the future for you and for me the movement towards that tree required this one here. That tree of suffering, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that humiliation, through His suffering and His death, we have been saved. Do you remember when John the Baptist, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, pointed to him, to his cousin, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold he who takes away the sins of the world. There was our Lord, the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb to be slain, the Lamb that would have the sins of the world placed upon its head and slain for us. You see, beloved, it's through that tree that our Lord was high and lifted up on. It's through that tree that all the world who would believe would have redemption and reconciliation. You see, there was a great exchange. There was an exchange. It was His life for your life. It was His life for my life. His life for your life and for mine. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus alerted and taught his disciples before the cross in such a way to tell them that death and suffering was coming for him. Verily, verily, I say to you, our Lord said, 
to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Through his death on that tree, you and I are able to partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Through him, falling to the ground, giving his life for us, we have eternal life. In Romans 5, 8, Paul says this, but God shows his love for us. Hear this. That in, or that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. What a weird thing to say. Out of all the religions on earth, out of all the the men and their beliefs and the women and their beliefs around the world, to say that God shows His love through the death of Himself, what an odd thing. It seems foreign to us at first. That Anglican theologian John Stott said it was actually by the cross of Jesus. It was through and by that cross that he became a Christian because he said, no other God, no other gods would enter and condescend to human suffering in the way that God did through his son. No other God. He took it up. Beloved, let me remind you of this axiom of reality that comes to us from the blessed Trinity. Without suffering, without sacrifice, there is no love. Think about that for a moment. In your marriage, between your children, between friends, loved ones, where there is no suffering, Where there is no sacrifice, there can be no love. And the perfect love of God was shown to us through His suffering on the cross. John Stott wrote, God could quite justly have abandoned you and me to our fate. He could have left us alone to reap the fruit of our wrongdoing and to perish there in our sins. It was what we deserved, but he did not. Because he loved us, he came after us in Christ. He pursued us even to the desolate anguish of the cross where he bore our sins, our guilt, our judgment, and our death to take away a hard and stony heart to remain unmoved by love like that. We live in a culture and in a time that avoids suffering at all costs, don't we? We avoid suffering at all costs. Matter of fact, we see that if someone suffers, it's because, well, they have either done something wrong or the Lord is, um, just doesn't want to hear their prayer or whatever that might be. But let me say this. Our Lord heals whom he wishes. Jesus healed many in his time, in his three-year ministry. He heals many today of, of, of infirmities, of sickness, disease. 
But beloved, he also allows suffering. And for the Christian, our suffering is not hopeless. I want to tell you this. In true suffering that is given over to God, that is given to the Son and to His cross, through that suffering you will see God in a way that others can't. And we avoid it at all costs. No, suffering in itself is not good, is not an end in and of itself. But Paul wrote, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offerings of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me, to rejoice even in his sufferings for the Lord. There's an artist of the late medieval ages um, who uh, constructed what's known as the Isen, Isenheimer Altar by Matthias Grunenveld. And in that painting, he's painted something that when you first see it, you're repulsed by it. Because it's our Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, and he's stricken with leprosy on the cross. And we know that our Lord didn't have leprosy. He cured lepers. But he had leprosy on the cross in this depiction, in this painting. And it was in a church and also in a hospital in this area of uh, what would become uh, Germany in this area. And the monks and other Christians would bring the disease to set them before this image of Jesus on the cross with leprosy. Not because they believed that they would magically be cured, but so that they could see that Jesus had taken on their suffering. That it was not foreign to him. It was not foreign to him. His suffering on the cross wrought for us redemption from sin. He paid the penalty that was due for you and for me. Psalm 75 talks about that cup of wine being mixed and frothing over and that the Lord's going to pour that out on his enemies and they're going to drink every last drop. Did you, did you catch in John 18? He drank it for us. But beloved, in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross, we see the suffering of every loved one. We see the suffering that we go through. We see the sin. In that sense, all the suffering of the world is displayed in and through our Lord, and what that allows us, beloved, to do is to take our suffering and give it over to Him, and to do so in faith. Our Lord from the cross in Aramaic yells out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For so many years I read that as as, as this almost postmodern man on the cross crying out in existential distress. Why, Father, have you forsaken me? Do you exist? Are you there? Beloved, do you know what he was doing in that moment? He was praying Psalm 22. He was praying Psalm 22. What an example for us in the uttermost despair of this life and this world we look at our Lord praying on the cross, praying Psalm 22 that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But let me read further in this psalm. 
For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Our Lord praying in faith, yes, in desperation, but in faith to the Father. Beloved, He drank every last drop of that cup to the dregs for you and for me. How? How can we fathom it? How can we live a life worthy? Beloved, it's not through our works that we become worthy. It is through what was accomplished once and for all on that cross. But let me remind us as a church family, we are to see the face of Jesus in the suffering. That we are to go to the afflicted. That we are to visit our Lord there with them. And in so doing, bring them in to that all-atoning sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Beloved, beloved, let me close with these words. It is through that tree and that cross that you and I have had the penalty that was due to us absolved and forgiven so that you and I may taste of that resurrection to come, of that tree of life to come. But it came through the suffering of God himself. What a God that we serve. What real love that we serve, that he condescended to the uttermost of suffering for humanity to lift us up with him. And finally, beloved, for those of you that are suffering even now presently, Don't give up. Don't turn away from the face of God. Pray. Pray Psalm 22. Ask the Lord to sanctify you because I can promise you this. When you remain faithful in the midst of your suffering, you will see him more clearly than those who will abandon the faith, who will move on. For it's in the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ that we finally behold the man and see his face, a face on the cross that was bloody, but finally a face that will be perfect and shining with light that we finally will meet at the end of all things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.